what I really want to highlight is that transformation is a fundamental part of our Christian walk. Right? I mean, can anyone share with me something in, in their character that they feel has really been transformed or something about, you know, a, a desire to transform something that, you know, being a Christian has helped with? Anyone? Yes? Um, I used to be very shy. I could never talk to people, but now I can talk to anybody. Okay. Heather. <laughs> 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 okay. Well, I saw marriage in relationships. Yeah, okay. Marriage and relationships. Anything else? I used to be very snobbish and never wanted to mix with anyone who didn't have the same music taste. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. Well, you know, the thing is, transformation is an integral part of our journey as Christians. And I think that, uh, you know, it isn't just about a transformation at the day of your baptism or our conversion. It's an ongoing process. And, uh, you know, I believe that we've, you know, I've had a, a, a significant transformation even in the way I think as a Christian going over the years. Mm. And I hope that you have as well and you will continue to do so. Mm. Let's just look at a couple of scriptures. You know, at the end of the day, Jesus says that we are basically being transformed into his you know, into his image, into his likeness. You know, that's that's the idea of the Christian walk. It's not just a transformation. I want to, you know, I want to be a better person. We're actually becoming more like Jesus. That's the idea. And that transformation doesn't come from our own effort. It comes from God and through the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that I've really been um, learning this year. Uh, in my sort of reading, and I'll share with you some of the things I've been reading, it, it's really how I need to become, I need to make the spirit larger in my life. In that, you, know, you know, we live such busy lives, and we rely you know, so much on, all right, just ticking the boxes of you know, going to church, doing my quiet time, and so on. Yeah. You know, it's easy to block out the spirit actually inside me working mm. and helping me to transform into Christ-likeness. Yeah. You know? And I think that's a challenge for us. I think if we look at this, you know, our, 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 our transformation is part of our, our worship for God. You know, Romans 12, uh, verse 1 and 2, a uh, very famous verse we all know probably very well. But um, how it says, in view of God's mercy, we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And this is our true and proper worship. Um, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And then we'll be able to really test God's will and his purpose in our lives. And I think, you know, the, the thing that uh, I can really appreciate, and I urge you to really think about and, and really meditate on, is the fact that this transformation is really an ongoing process but also it's a transformation of the way we think right and that i would say to you if you still think and believe exactly what you did the day that you became a christian yeah. you know you're not growing and it needs to be a little bit deeper you know i think about my journey and how in the early days it just kind of 
you know, you were taught really well with the studies and, and you kind of, you know, picked up what you, what, what you needed to do. And, and, and everything was just about, yeah, okay, you're just repeating the spiel, right? If we're honest. It wasn't, you know, a real deep sense of feeling uh, inside. And, you know, sometimes we've been told in the past that, you know, feelings are unreliable, your heart is deceitful, and those scriptures are used so that, you know, we have to follow the Bible, it's a manual, right? But, you know, I want to just challenge that a little bit, not, not that saying the Bible isn't fundamentally the truth, <laughs> but I want to challenge how we think a little bit, and we'll get there in, in later on in, in, in the talk today. And, um, and finally, Jesus says, you know, unless we change, unless we change, we cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, so I think, you know, we have to see change, transformation, a, a renewal of our thinking as fundamental, essential need of our Christian walk going forwards. And, you know, we can't just be stuck, this is the way we do it in church. You know, it has to be more than that. It has to be a heartfelt, spirit-led growth and understanding and transformation. So that it's really deep. You know, I remember the time when um, church went through a really challenging time back in 2003, and so many people walked away from God at that time. Mm. And you have to figure out, well, how deep was that faith? Yeah. How deep was there an understanding? How, how much were, was the Spirit leading people in that time? You know, you know, the church was in a mess at that time. But the thing is, you know, going forwards, we don't want to repeat the mistakes of the past. We want to also, each one of us, take a responsibility to really go through that transforming journey as Christians, right? Amen. You know, some of the things I've been reading this year, I can really recommend highly this book here, Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes. Thank you, Harry Patel, for recommending it to me. Um, it was uh, it really, it's, you know, it's got, as all books, some good bits, some relatively you know, slow reading, you know. But, you know, the fundamental basis of it is that, you know, just a question, uh, just to recognize how much of a cultural and, you know, bias we have just of, because of who we are and our background and our upbringing and where we live, you know. And, uh, and just, just a question that, you know, when we repeat these scriptures and, you know, the, the, in Western eyes we have a tendency to have everything black and white. We want rules, right? We like to have rules and standards. This is the way we have, you know, we see this throughout our world today, you know, everything is compliance and we have to tick these boxes. And, you know, I, I recently, I'm a dentist, uh, those of you who don't know, and I recently had to do a compliance course on diagnosing uh, and uh, certain types of x-rays called cone beam CT scans, which, anyway. Um, and, you know, the, the inspector came along and said, well, you know, where's your, where's your certificate for this course? And I said, I've been, I've been diagnosing working with this for 25 years. Um, you know, I was one of the first people doing implant dentistry in the UK, and I've been doing, we said, well, we still need to see a certificate for competence. <laughs> so I had to go and do a course, a basic course of competence to do diagnosing x-rays, which I've been doing for 25 years. And, you know, it, it's ludicrous. But we have a tendency to want to do this with our, our you know, spiritual walk. That our spiritual walk becomes uh, a case of, well, you know, we have to tick these boxes because this is what the Bible says. But, you know, this book really helped me to question, well, is that actually what the Bible says? When we read it a certain way, 
we have to recognize that we're reading it with our cultural norms. Somebody from a different culture, maybe the culture of the day, would read that verse and there's a lot that goes without being said when something is written down. The writer would assume that people would know what was going on without being said. And we have to recognize how our culture today changes that. Um, this one is crazy. Pagan Christianity it really is a, a real challenging book to read, actually, and, it, and, it, and uh, I, I think uh, read it, and, uh, and, uh, and certainly it's a challenge. Uh, this is a book I also shared about this last year. I reread it again this year um, just to confirm my uh, convictions, and uh, it certainly helped me to really change a lot of my convictions in, uh, in what I read. And Timothy Keller's podcast, I really enjoy these a great deal. Um, and, and what I've tried to do this year is listen to preaching and teaching that's outside of our own church. Mm. Why? You know, where does it say anywhere, God say that we have the only one track to God? Okay? We don't. And there's wisdom from other churches as well that we need to really just accept that other viewpoints, you know, we can also grow. Do we think as a church that we are the perfect church? Absolutely not. You know, there are a lot of great Christians out there. And, uh, you know, I, I really want to bring us into a different perspective than that. So, Jesus hates traditions. You know, in fact, he came and turned you know, the world upside down and spent all of his ministry virtually hammering the Pharisees, the religious, you know, norms of that day. You know, and I really had uh, go through a journey and I had to challenge myself how much of a Pharisee have I become over the years. And I believe, you know, we as, as a church, all churches, and I don't want to single us out, all churches become pharisaical. We become, we become enmeshed in our own traditions. Yeah. And, you know, we have to step outside of this. And in order to really grow and, and really become Christians that Jesus wants us to be. And uh, I think this is really uh, important. You know, he, he, he really lays into them, you know. You, you, know, says, you know, you honor me with your lips when he's talking to the Pharisees, um, but your hearts are far from me. You worship me in vain. You know, you're just worshiping a set of human-made rules that suit your preferences and your bias. And that's really a great challenge for us, I think, as Christians. Jesus wants us to be something different. You know, our, our theme scripture of the year, which I love, actually, is that you know, we are being built together to be a dwelling where God lives in the spirit. And that we is mainly a corporate we, not an individual we. And that's one of the things this book highlights is how we read the Bible, you know, in that it's all about me, but it's actually all about us as a body of Christians. Yeah. Um, but it applies to us individually, of course. We are being built together to become a dwelling where God can live. You know, are we a suitable dwelling as a fellowship for God to live? Mm. You know, and what can we individually do to help our fellowship become an even better or a more suitable dwelling for God? Amen. It's His power that gives us everything we need. You know, it's not us. It's not how well we study the Bible or how well we do this. It's God's power. God's Spirit working in us that gives us what we need, okay? And how we allow that to help us to participate in those divine and precious promises um, 
and to live the life that Christ and God wants us to live. You know, I come back to this scripture again and again, and you know, I just want to share it again. You know, the greatest commandment is about loving God and loving others, right? Jesus yeah. has asked, what is the greatest? You know, if you think about our background, the greatest commandment for our church background was Matthew 28, 18 yeah. to 20, right? Yeah. Let's be honest. It wasn't about loving God and loving others. That was hardly preached in, in the day when I grew up as a Christian in this church. I mean, but the greatest commandment Jesus says is loving God and loving others. And he even says, you know, a new command I give you, you know, love one another by this. All men will know you are Christians if you love another. And Paul even says, look, you know, for in Christ Jesus, not circumcision, uncircumcision has no value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. It's the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So, you know, we have to understand this love a little better. Let's, uh, let's, let's listen to this little video. So, if you've heard of Jesus, you probably know about one of his famous teachings called the Golden Rule. Do to others what you would want them to do to you. And this, actually, is a restatement of something else that Jesus said, that the meaning of life is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's really beautiful, but what does he mean exactly by the word love? It's an unclear word in English, because you can love your mom and you can love pizza. And if the word love means the same thing in both of those cases, your mom's gonna feel real bad. So what did Jesus mean in his language? Well, first of all, this love your neighbor phrase is a quotation from the Hebrew scriptures, where the word for love is ahava. However, the language Jesus spoke and taught in from day to day was a cousin language of Hebrew, that is Aramaic, in which the word for love is rahmah. But then, as Jesus' followers spread his teachings around the world, they translated them into Greek using the word agape. But here's what's fascinating. The earliest followers of Jesus who wrote the books of the New Testament in Greek, they didn't learn the meaning of agape by looking it up in ancient dictionaries. Rather, they looked to the teachings of Jesus and the story of his life to redefine their very concept of love. So one time, Jesus was asked about the most important command in the Jewish scriptures. And he first quoted from the ancient prayer in the Torah called the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So love for God is the most important thing. But then Jesus quickly followed up by saying another command from the Torah was also the most important, to love your neighbor as yourself. So which is the most important, loving God or loving your neighbor? Jesus' answer is yes. To ask the question means you don't get his point. For Jesus, they are two sides of the same coin. Your love for God will be expressed by your love for people and vice versa, they're inseparable. And so this makes it clear that for Jesus, agape love is not primarily a feeling for someone else that happens to you, like our phrase, I fell in love. For Jesus, love is action. It's a choice that you make to seek the well-being of people other than yourself. Jesus also went on to teach that genuine love for God and others means seeking people's well-being without expecting anything in return, especially from people who are in difficult situations who can't repay you even if they wanted to. According to Jesus, this kind of generous love reflects the very heartbeat of God. And he took this even further. Jesus said that the ultimate standard of authentic love is how well you treat the person that you can't stand. Or in his words, you shall love your enemy and do good to them, expecting nothing in return. 
For Jesus, this kind of enemy-embracing love imitates the very character of God himself. Now, we wouldn't be talking about Jesus still today if he had only said things like, love your enemy. This is how he actually lived. Jesus was constantly helping and serving the people around him in very practical and tangible ways. And he consistently moved towards poor and hurting people who couldn't benefit him in return. He showed love for the forgotten ones, the people who usually fall through the cracks. And when Jesus eventually marched into Jerusalem, he made himself an enemy of the leaders of his people by accusing them of hypocrisy and corruption. But then instead of attacking his enemies to overthrow them, he allowed them to kill him. Jesus died for the selfishness and corruption of his enemies because he loved them. After Easter morning, Jesus and then his followers claimed that it was the power of God's love for the world that was revealed in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. As the Apostle Paul put it, God demonstrated his own agape for us in this. While we were still sinners, the Messiah died for us. Or in the words of the Apostle John, God's own agape was revealed when he sent his one and only son into the world so that through him we could have life. And for John, then, this leads naturally to the conclusion, beloved ones, if that's how God has loved us, then we ought to show love for one another. So Christian faith involves trusting that at the center of the universe is a being overflowing with love for his world. Which means that the purpose of human existence is to receive this love that has come to us in Jesus and then to give it back out to others. Creating an ecosystem of others-focused, self-giving love. And that's the New Testament meaning of agape love. Amen. Those uh, little videos are great. They're for the Bible Project. You can find that online. Um, hey, thanks for watching this word study video by the Bible. Stop there. Um, and uh, thanks for watching this word study Bible uh, video. Um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a neat way of just, just summarizing the, the kind of love that we, we have. I mean, our opportunity, uh, as we think about our gift for the poor this year, maybe we can start to think about, you know, why do we do this? Is it, and, and recognize it, it's because we need to be expressing love for those people. It's not because this is a, a burden for us, or this is, oh gosh, it's our gift for the poor again, I've got to find some money to give. You know, our, our spirit needs to be more, you know, I want, I, want, I want to be able to express the love that Jesus showed people. Yeah. And uh, hopefully that will motivate us when we think about that too. But this love is transformational. It's different. It's, it's not what comes to us naturally. And I think, you know, when we continue this thought about transformation, I, know, I only have one point today, that transformation is, you know, that we need to let God transform us. And, uh, and I think, you know, when we look at these scriptures, like this one here, Philippians 1, 3, 16, and Paul says, I thank God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident that of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. You know, that's, that would be a great spirit for us all to have when we think about each other. You know, I certainly feel that way about some of the people in the room that I know well and, you know, have a connection with, but I need to feel it for everybody in the room mm. and, and in, our, in our fellowship. You know, and when I think of you, you know, there are definitely people that I do think of with joy, of course. 
but I, I need to think of everybody with joy. And, uh, and just to recognize that, you know, well, this is a work that's, that's ongoing. You know, we're not there yet. We're never there. We haven't arrived until we arrive. And, and you know, and that way then that's it. We're, re we're ready. And we pray that we will be ready because, you know, it'll be complete when we're ready. Putting on our new selves, which is renewed in the knowledge of its image of its creator. Um, thinking again, not living for ourselves, but, you know, that Christ lives in me, um, and, and what counts is this new creation. You know, just those are encouraging scriptures, I believe, when we think about our own lives and, and our walk with God. We've, we've, we've you know, heard this scripture so many times um, about God, you know, saying, or Jesus saying, if you love me, you obey my commands. And so, you know, we, we focus so much on the commands in our lives, right? And the Bible and, the, and what the scriptures say. Rightly so. Um, but he says, I'm going to give you an advocate that will be with you together uh, forever, the spirit of truth. And I'm not sure that we allow the spirit to really, really have the same influence as the word. You know, the word is, is, has primacy. In our, in, in our fellowship, certainly. But does the spirit have the same primacy? Now, I'm not saying we should all start playing around the floor. But if you've ever the phrase, spirit. the Holy Spirit, and you want to know what it means, where do you start? Well, you have to start on page one of the Bible, where the uncreated world is depicted as this dark, chaotic place, but then above the chaos, God's spirit is there, hovering, ready to bring about life and order and beauty. Okay, but... What is God's Spirit? Yeah, so the Spirit is the way the biblical authors talk about God's personal presence. The Hebrew word is ruach. Ruach. Yeah, you gotta clear your throat at the end. So what is it? Well, ruach can refer to a number of different things, but what they all have in common is energy. Energy? How so? So there's an invisible energy that makes the clouds move or the tree branches sway. Right. Wind. So in Hebrew, that's ruach. Okay. Now take a big breath. <sighs> So you feel that inside you? Yeah, the air? Well, specifically the energy, right? The vitality in your body that you get from breathing deeply, that too is ruach. And this is the same word used in the Bible to describe God's personal presence. Just like wind and breath are invisible, God's spirit is invisible. Wind is powerful, and so God's spirit is powerful. And just as breath keeps us alive, so God's spirit sustains all of life. Yeah, ruach. Now, as we continue on in the story of the Bible, we see God's Ruach giving special empowerment to people for specific tasks. The first person in the Bible this happens to is Joseph. God's Spirit enables him to understand and interpret dreams. And then it happens to this guy named Bezalel, and he's an artist. God's Spirit empowers him with wisdom and skills. He's given creative genius to make beautiful things in the tabernacle. And we also see God's Ruach empower a group of people called the prophets. They're able to see what's happening in history from God's point of view. That's exactly right. And here's the problem as the prophets saw it. While God's Ruach had created a really good world, humans have given in to evil. They've unleashed chaos into it through their injustice. A new type of disorder. Yes, and the prophet said the spirit would come, just like in Genesis 1, but now to transform the human heart, to empower people to truly love God and others. How will this new act of God's spirit happen? 
Well, centuries pass, and we are introduced to Jesus. And at the beginning of his mission, there's this beautiful scene where Jesus is being baptized in the waters of the Jordan River. Yeah, the sky opens up, and God's Spirit comes and rests on him like a bird. The story is saying that God's Spirit is empowering Jesus to begin the new creation. And we see this happening when he heals people or forgives their sins. He's creating life where there once was death. Now, Israel's religious leaders oppose Jesus, and they eventually have him killed. But even here, God's Spirit is at work. The earliest disciples of Jesus, who saw him alive from the dead, said it was God's energizing Spirit that raised Jesus. This is the beginning of new creation. Yes, and it's still going. When Jesus appeared to his closest followers, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And soon after that, the Spirit powerfully comes on all of his disciples. So that they can become a part of this new creation and share the good news and learn how to live by the energy and influence of God's Spirit. And so today, the Spirit is still hovering in dark places. Yes, pointing people to Jesus, transforming and empowering them so they can love God and others. And the Christian hope is that the Spirit is going to finish the job. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a new humanity, living in a new world that's permeated with God's love and life-giving spirit. Amen. And now the lights went off. <laughs> Finally. Um, you know, in the scriptures, and I just want to read this final scripture, uh, John 14, Jesus says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you and remind you of everything I've said to you. You know, the first disciples didn't have the Bible. Jesus said, the Spirit will teach you. But I, I think, you know, we've kind of blocked that out. In that We're not really letting the Spirit teach us a lot of the time. We are, we are so fixed on the rules. You know, we need to allow ourselves to be transformed also by the Spirit. I think it's, you know, it's not one or the other, it's both. You know, the, the Word definitely has its importance because Jesus says, if you obey my commands. But we, as a church, I think we can grow in this area of really being led by the Spirit. And I feel this, certainly, I, I know in, in, in our fellowship in, in High Wycombe, uh, not High Wycombe, Marlow, and Beaconsfield, and uh, High Wycombe, um, <laughs> South, what do we call now? South Bucks, right? Um, and I know in my own family that you know we, we, we have a lot of great discussions about really trying to understand uh, does God really mean that you know, the way we've interpreted it all these years, or how do we embrace this? And you know, can we allow ourselves to be you know just renewed in our thinking and transformed? And I think you know if we can be praying just to pray for God to give us insight. And sometimes, you know, those feelings that you have are there because God put them there. You know, God created you. You know, heart can be deceitful, sure. But, you know, he wasn't talking to Christians at that point. You know, he was talking to the Israelites. We have the Spirit in us. Are we listening to the Spirit to help us change and grow and maybe even revise the way we think about something? I, you know, I don't want to stand here and say, this is right, this is wrong. What I'm saying is that, you know, let's challenge ourselves as a church to, to be listening out for what the Spirit 
teaches us, and be able to allow ourselves to be transformed. Because the scripture very clearly says that it's God and the Spirit working on us that transforms us, not how much we know of the Bible, not how, we, how well we can recite scriptures and how we can, you know, come out with a, a great argument, but it's allowing the Spirit to work in our hearts. So, my point, my final point, and my only point is, let's allow that Spirit to work in our lives, to allow that transformation to work and continue to its completion. Amen. Yes.